Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Unhedged. I'm your host, Frank Trois, and I'm really looking forward to this week's broadcast. Each week, we try to present you with the most diverse group of panelists and speakers that one can find anywhere. These range from theologians to portfolio managers, hedge fund managers, politicians, you name it. If they've written a book, we're going to have them on air talking about it. And by the way, we're not going to follow a scripted, organized discussion, but rather have a free-form discussion so that we can talk about the things that are top of mind, and more importantly, ask the questions that you would probably have asked yourself. Feel free to recommend the show to friends and colleagues, and with that, let's get on with this week's edition of Unhedged. Today's broadcast is brought to you today by Oracle. Oracle helps customers develop roadmaps, migrate to the cloud, and take advantage of emerging technologies from any point. These include new cloud deployments, on-prem environments, and hybrid implementations. Oracle's approach makes it easy for companies to get started in the cloud and even easier to expand as business grows. For more information, go to sohocap.com unhedged, and we can provide free cloud credits to our listeners. Good morning, everyone, and thank you again in a COVID-19 world for joining us today on Unhedged. Today's guest is Paolo Montessori, CEO of Lendo EFL. Paolo, how are you today? Very well, thanks, Frank. Good morning to you. Good morning. So why don't we give our listeners an update? So you're not in Singapore today. Rumor has it that uh, you're in Melbourne. Is that correct? That is correct. I uh, got out of Singapore about a month ago now uh, when it looked like everything was getting shut down uh, as my family lives here. So I came across, and uh, and then everything started to shut down. So it looks like I'll be here for a while. But uh, you know, being an IT business, uh, you know, in the tech space, we're quite accustomed, I'd say, to to using digital means to communicate with people and all that. So luckily, we don't run a production line uh, or a factory, because I think people in that sort of business are significantly more challenged than than we are. So making do. You know, Paul. And, you know, Paolo, along those lines, it, it, it's kind of interesting because uh, I think you and I, you know, in full disclosure to our listeners, you know, we do have a professional relationship as well as a personal one. And and before we deep dive on some of the nuances of what we're seeing in the debt markets and credit markets, how have you seen this impacting your day to day? Like on my end, for example, I'm finding that I have less free time. I mean, I'm, I'm doing if before if I was doing three or four meetings a day, that was really busy. Now I'm doing 12 to 14 Zoom meetings. And, and given the fire hose of business that you're under, I, I, I would imagine it's probably a multiple of that. So how have you found it in terms of productivity and interacting with employees, customers, et cetera? Yeah, I think you're correct. Uh, you know, certainly the activity levels increased. Uh, you know, before when you're in an office environment with your colleagues, you know, just that five minutes, ten minutes to step over to somebody else's desk, have a cup of coffee, and chat on something, um, you know, was was just part of your normal modus operandi on a day-to-day basis. Now, um, exactly, you need to make a you need to make quite a significant attempt. I see to set up a video call and to interact with these people, right? So accordingly, yeah, the schedules. I'd say significantly more active. Well, before, you know, we always had these kind of blank spots where, you know, you pick up the phone and talk to somebody or, as I said, have a cup of coffee and a quick chat on on a topic. Now, okay, I need to, you know, set 30 minutes, 40 minutes to talk to that individual, set up that Zoom call. So, um, you know, while I don't think productivity is hurting, um, I think the calendar is significantly more full than it was in the past. Yeah, Yeah, and it's funny. I've I've had a lot of calls where where people will – 
preface with expectations immediately where literally someone will say to me, look, you know, I love you to death. I've got six minutes. What do you want to go over? And it's just like, okay, (laughs) get into brass tacks today on that. Mm. Just amazing times. Well, I I do hope we have you back. And, and, you know, you know, it's interesting too, Paulo, you and I've talked about this offline. I, I think that one of the most fascinating things in the market has been, there's this huge dislocation between what the equity markets are doing right now, especially in the United States. So that there's that great image from CNBC with Jim Cramer, where on the one screen, it's talking about the market's recovery. And then at the bottom of the screen, talking about unprecedented uh, unemployment. And the irony of that is that underneath that is that everyone in the fixed income markets is talking about the coming tsunami in the third, fourth quarter as it relates to defaults, bankruptcies, uh, what have you. And my, my, my question to you is, you know, in, in light of that, and, and, and also in light of the fact that we can compare what both Singapore has done here versus what the U.S. has done. But it sounds like for the consumer that we're going to be in an unprecedented place where there could be a 30, 60, 90 day black hole as it relates to credit scores. Is, is, is that something real that we should all be talking about and thinking about? Yeah, um, yes, is <laughs> the quick answer. It's definitely something we should be talking about and, and thinking about, um, you know. We, as an organization, um, you know, Lendoyafel has always since inception, first from an academic perspective and then from a, a, let's say, B2B productivity perspective, have always focused on emerging economies, right? So, you know, just to give a little bit of background, um, you know, for the listeners out there, fundamentally what we do is we take this, uh, these alternative data sets, these new digital data sets, and we use them in order to build credit risk models as a proxy, let's say, for, for areas or segments of the market that don't have traditional credit bureau scores. Obviously, in emerging markets, there's a huge segment, right? Because in some of these countries, you know, there is no credit bureau. There's only recently established a credit bureau. And even if there is a bureau, it covers, you know, 10, 15, maybe 20% of the population. So those were the, call it, let's say the low-hanging fruit geographies where, where Lend UFL has been operating, right? Um, we're in an interesting dynamic here, though, Frank, right? Because... You know, as you know, um, in in developed markets, so the U.S., Australia, Singapore, etc., um, you have these bureaus that exist, um, and they generate scores for financial institutions in order to make credit decisions uh, based on historical data, really repayment behavior, right? So, mm-hmm. is Frank a good guy? Yes or no? What do we base that on? We base that on whether or not he's you know paid his utility bills on time, paid his telephone bill on time, paid his credit card bills on time paid his car loan on time. Um, now, everybody, everybody, probably even you, Frank, um, every once in a while misses a payment, right? Uh, that mm-hmm. could be because you're forgetful, you're on holiday, or maybe you run into a bit of a bad spot, right? Um, and where that contract expires and the new one hasn't started yet, so you've got a month of cash flow issues, right? But, um, you know, what we're facing here is, you know, the last time I checked, in excess of 20 million people in the U.S. that all of a sudden are claiming unemployment benefit, right? Um, so this unprecedented spike in unemployment in the U.S. And uh, and that's the same in, in many countries as a result of this pandemic, right? Um, now, governments have done all sorts of interesting different moves, um, you know, depending on the country with regards to how to handle that, right? Some of them are sending out checks. Some of them are doing digital payments um, in support. You know, Australia has a very interesting um, approach that they've taken here where they have two programs, the Job Seeker program, which is really unemployment, and then they have the Job Keeper program where they're, um, they're, they're essentially 
paying on behalf of businesses um, employee salaries you know, to a certain fixed amount in order to keep them employed rather than them going into the whole unemployment benefit side of things. So they're say, taking these small businesses, restaurants, bars, etc., and saying, look, rather than firing all your employees, we'll pay them up to $1,500 a fortnight um, you know, for you. So we we'll give the money to the business, the business keeps the people employed, so they're kind of kicking the can down the road, right? But the reality is that you know, there's been this massive change in the market, and um, whether they're officially unemployed or unofficially unemployed through, through some government program, the reality is people's lives have changed in a very unexpected fashion. And so sooner or later, we're going to have, um, you know, from my perspective, from my expectation, and I'm not the only one that thinks this, a massive spike in default, right? Now, um, some people are managing to make ends meet, and some people aren't, right? Some people are starting to default on their loans today, Others are managing, you know, between different government programs and, and whatnot to, to pay at least their minimum payments on their credit card and keep up their, you know, their, their mortgage payments and whatnot. But the reality is that at a certain point, um, you know, this unexpected behavior is going to, I'd say, damage um, the validity of credit bureau scores. Um, because this unexpected event across a significant segment of the population has happened. Um, you're going to see this you know, significant change in repayment behavior over a period of time, three months, six months. And then when, we, when it's time to kickstart the economy again and the government says to the banks, get out there and start lending to corporate, start lending to SMEs, start lending to uh, you know, individuals, we need to get the economy going again. The banks are going to go to the bureau and say, okay, give me a score on Frank. And they're going to say, well, Frank used to be good, right? But we've had this unexpected spike in Frank's behavior over mm -hmm. the last three months. And we're not so sure if he's good anymore. And the bank's going to go, well, I don't really want to loan to Frank necessarily because he's a credit risk now. So what are we going to do, right? That's the real question, and um, and that's where you know this 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 you know pandemic, Frank, has created a lot of um, I'd say a lot of unexpected um, I'd say push towards you know new digital strategies, and that goes across the gamut of services, right? You know. There were banks out there that were trying their best to get people to migrate to doing internet banking or digital banking and stop coming into the branches. Well, guess what? The branches are closed now and you're not allowed to go to the branch. So people are having to you know, get accustomed with digital banking. So that's a real positive, right? Um, in the same fashion, um, you know, what we've been doing with alternative data to create scores has been a bit of you know, black magic, et cetera, that financial institutions and bureaus have been testing over the last number of years. Well, guess what? I think we're in a bit of a storm here that's going to result in this reliance on using these new sources of data, and that's social data, uh, you know, that's mobile phone data, et cetera, um, you know, psychometric data, um, you know, which we have a proprietary um, solution for. These data sets are going to be uh, increasingly important um, in predicting somebody's repayment behavior following this anomaly of significant default that's coming. I'll take a breath. Let, let, <laughs> no, 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 because yeah, you said a lot. And, and, and yeah. let, let me oversimplify it slightly. And I, I, I want to focus on two nuances to what you're saying, because they're, in a simple model, there, there's the emerging markets and the developed markets. So, and, and if we look at both potential participants, um, so the, in, in a developed market, you have someone who would have otherwise had a perfect credit score now could have a, let's just say a three month gap where all of a sudden everything just went to, to hell in a handbasket. Uh, so that's one category. The other category in the emerging markets is the, as 
as you guys have done so well, the ability to take folks who don't have credit and be able to attach a credit score to that uh, through other data sources. And, and one, of, one of the true stories, I, I'll, I'll never forget this, when I was in Santa Barbara, I'll leave them nameless, but a, a very good friend of mine had a company where they sold wheels and they sold wheels to minorities. And, and uh, the interesting thing was that they would extend credit, like they were very aggressive with credit to, to their customers, whereas no other bank would touch these people culturally. They, they just, there was no other bank that would do it. Yet that my friend was providing them credit as if it was just a fire hydrant gushing out money. And I spoke with him and I said, you know, why, why are you doing this? And he said, you know what? He said, people forget this is a, they're overlooking the single biggest data point, which is this is a cultural per purchase for them. Mm -hmm. They would sooner cut off their arm than have the wheels taken off their car. So they, they will pay for this before they pay for food relative to what's there. So he said it was that next layer of granularity to, and again, I'm using a somewhat <laughs> bizarre example, but you know, my, my, the interesting thing here is if we look at these two camps of users, you have in the emerging markets the opportunity to extend credit in these very, very small bite-sized nuggets as people are building a profile. But the other part of it is people don't realize that these people actually, for the most part, pay on time. They're actually very good credits to, to, to extend credit to. So problem number one is, well, do you double down on the faucets and maybe give them more given, given their behavior? And then on the other side of it, to your point, I, I fully agree. I think that, you know, I, I like the metaphor that you used of kicking the can down the road in that it seems that in the developed markets, while they're providing relief, it, it, it really isn't. You know, it's going to end up in month number four being a very, very large balloon payment that, that you're going to be dealing with or some other type of financial structure that, that, that you don't want. So the question I have for you is, do you double down on the emerging markets and say, hey, this consumer at the end of the day is worth the risk of, of, of providing more liquidity. And then on the other end of it, what do you do in the, like, do you, do you say in the developed markets, Hey, you know what, what the traditional credit agencies are using to put together these scores is actually incorrect. There are actually other data points that indicate that they are good for the money and you should feel comfortable with this. Or are you really talking about re reconstructing the, the, the structure of, of the loan itself based on the score? Yeah, I think it's uh you know, on both sides, right? I mean, you, you said one, one. Well, you said a number of interesting things there, Frank. But one, one thing that just struck me in this, uh, in this last little bit here was um, talking about behavior, right? You know, we're we're talking about distinguishing between, um, I'd say, uh, the science behind, as I said, taking repayment data and allocating that, running that through an algorithm, you know, through a credit model, etc., and making a decision as to whether or not this person is, uh, call it, credit worthy versus the behavioral science behind what we do, right? We are looking at not historical data in order to predict future behavior. We're looking at the behavior of the individual at a snapshot in time now, right? And utilizing right. that data in order to predict future behavior, right? Um, so let me give you a kind of a brass tacks example, right? You know, in a typical, um, let's say, bureau approach, you would look at that individual in New York City that is doing everything in order to make sure he's maintaining his minimum payments, right? Now, he's, he's, he's got it, right? He's got enough money coming through the door still, and, and, and he's managing to get his minimum payments covered, right? Now, um, in a typical bureau approach, right, in a developed market like that, what would happen is if that person applied for a loan, he'd get it, 
right? Because they'd look at him and say, great repayment behavior, et cetera, right? He's looking good. Let's give him that extra $10,000, right? Now, the reality is that that extra $10,000 is pushing him way beyond his means. The likelihood of him being able to repay that $10,000 additional loan is next to none, right? But mm -hmm. from a typical, let's say, bureau science perspective, you know, the historical behavior would dictate, let's give that guy some money, right? Now, um, if you take behavioral science into that and you'll look at, let's say, the different, you know, thousands of data points that we approach, right, from different sources, you'd be able to pull out, you know, some significant information that repayment behavior doesn't show. For example, you know, uh, changes in the individual's, uh, you know, geolocation, changes in the times that the individual is getting up, going to sleep, active on his email, uh, making telephone calls, etc. right, um, you know. There are so many different points there that would demonstrate a change in behavior and accordingly predict a higher risk of this individual in the future to come, right? Um, so, um, you know, that, 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 I'd say, does two things, right? Um, you know, that, that gives additional insight, as you said, in, in traditional markets or traditional, let's say, um, developed markets, um, which I think is useful. Uh, and, and, and it's interesting for us to, to apply the science to heavily regulated traditional, uh, I'd say bureau, uh, bureau penetrated countries, right? Um, but the reality is that, you know, perhaps even more interesting, Frank, is looking at from an emerging markets perspective, what is this dynamic going to do, right? I think this dynamic, um, you know, as a result of the pandemic, when we start to come out of this, um, is creating a great opportunity for these emerging economies to really take a step forward, right? There is going to be capital available to be deployed and in emerging economies, you see, and certainly we've seen from our experience, you know, a greater, um, I'd say, acceptance um, of using, you know, this sort of approach and these alternative data sets in order to push credit out there in the market. So I think that developed markets, unfortunately, will be reticent. Um, and accordingly, that kickstart into, you know, post-COVID-19 recovery and pull out of, you know, this pending recession um, is actually going to be slower, um, is my prediction, in developed markets versus emerging markets. I think emerging markets are just going to push far, harder and faster um, to get out of this than developed markets. Interesting. And what do you, what do you see then as, as far as to shift gears just very, very subtly as we look at the local Singapore market, you know, the ubiquity of, of mobile phones, uh, again, in, in the emerging markets, it doesn't matter where you are in, in, the, uh, in terms of wealth, very, very high probability that you have a mobile phone. You know, in Singapore, one of, one of the most interesting Digibank applicants is, is the Grab Singtel Consortia, where, where these two behemoths are together. They, they're, they're sitting on a potentially enormous consumer pool uh, that they can tap onto. Uh, and yet at the same time, Given everything that you've just said, the the it seems that the mobile phone married to your technology and analysis would be a perfect way to start extending credit to these folks. You know, and, and you and I have talked about this at length. You know, in terms of airtime lending or or actual credit itself, in terms of cash, how have you seen the uptake in the region of that and and the response of telcos to actually becoming financial service companies? And, and, and as a third leg of that, what would you envision potentially with Grab Singtel that, in terms of where they could actually take it? Um, 
Yeah, interesting questions, Frank. You've got a few in there. Uh, you know, our, my experience with telcos, let's start there. Um, you know, and I actually come from a telco background where I spent the first 20 years or so of my career, you know, working on, um, you know, mobile money solutions and, you know, working with telcos in order to have a stored value account in the network to give people essentially their first, uh, you know, their first bank account or their first account that they can transact with, um, you know, through the telco network, you know, the whole M-Pesa Kenya, et cetera, right? Um, so, you know, I've got a lot of experience with telcos. What I find is telco data itself, so just telco transactional data, um, is very good at predicting behavior when it comes to real nano loans, right? So we're talking about these Pico loans, right, of giving somebody you know, extending them some airtime credit, uh, you know, for a few dollars that gets repaid in, you know, five to seven days, that sort of thing. Um, but as a single source of data, it's very challenging um, to get into those higher ticket loans that you want to provide to, you know, micro SMEs, you know, be able to give them a $1,000 to buy some more stock to put on the shelves or to, uh, you know, to a farmer to buy more seed to plant more crops, that sort of thing. Um, as a single source of data, telco transactional data is challenging um, to get beyond that nano space. Um, now, when you start talking about consortium, you know, Singtel and Grab, or let's just call it, uh, you know, a telco and a ride-sharing company that obviously has lots of both consumer and micro SME data, uh, you know, because these drivers are essentially micro SMEs, right? They're, you know, they're sole proprietor individuals that have a car or a few and they're, they're out there running a business. Um, now you start combining additional sources of data, right? And that starts to get interesting because you just talk about, you know, access to different areas of this individual's uh, digital interaction um, and being able to use that data set as well as let's not forget you know expertise in marketing and customer interaction etc which comes from both the telco side as well as the you know the grab side right um, so that becomes really interesting uh, because you start to pull that together now um, as you know very well, from a Digibank applicant consortia perspective in Singapore, um, and that could be, you know, put it you know, at a global level, Frank, right? You know, the reality is that getting together these sorts of, uh, you know, large organizations um, is a bit like herding cats, right? And getting them around the table to agree on the terms of the consortia and whose data is whose and how is that data going to get shared and, well, my data is my asset, that's my customer, not your customer, et cetera. That's, that's the most challenging part. But from a data science perspective, super powerful, right? And the more of these consortia that we can bring together and the more data sharing that we can bring together, the better. Right? Ultimately, that's what's going to you know, create the models and the data science that really um, gives us you know, so much more insight into the behavior historically and the, let's say, forecasted behavior of the individual of the business, which ultimately results in getting more credit out there and, and, and growing confidence. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly a big component of um, bringing together as many data sets as possible. The more data, the better. Um, but I'm also cognizant of the fact that uh, you know, bringing together these large organizations in a consortium fashion is a uh, is a uh, more of a <laughs> it's a, a political challenge um, than necessarily a data science challenge, right? That's uh, that's the hardest part, as you know full well. <laughs> no, I, I I agree. I think it gives you know re referring to it as herding cats is probably a very very polite term uh, in in terms of that. Well, Paulo, this has been this has been terrific, and and you know, I'm selfishly, what I'm going to do is is uh, you were very very gracious with your time today, and I think we've we've touched on more than a few topics that we could have spent an enormous amount of time with, and I think as we move forward this year, uh, now especially with with this looming gap 
in, in credit profiles. I have a feeling we're going to be talking more about this. So I want to thank you again for your time today. Uh, again, I, uh, you know, miss having you here in Singapore. Glad to hear that you and the family are well, and, uh, we look forward to talking with you again in the near future. Yeah. Thanks, Frank. It's been great. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you again soon. I'm sure. But let's, uh, let's keep going. As I said, I could have talked about this for hours with you as well, uh, you know, over, <laughs> over, over a couple of drinks, but we'll do that next time. <laughs> right. Good stuff. Paulo, again, thank you. And to our listeners, thank you again for tuning in to this week's episode of Unhedged. Be safe and healthy, and we'll look forward to talking with you again soon. Take care.